calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com store. Hello, junkies! How the hell are you on this fine day? Whatever day you're listening to this episode, I hope it is a fine day for you. I also hope you're getting your vaccine game on and bringing that game strong! My second shot is coming up at the end of April. I'm pumped. I'm so pumped. Things might not be getting back to normal, but they are going to be getting closer to what normal was than what normal was a few months ago. Sort of need to time machine to process that sentence. But what I'm saying is things are getting better. I'm also saying, holy crap, holy crap, we passed 2,000 reviews for Mount Fitzroy over at audible.com. Thank you. Thank you so very much. 2,025 at the time I write this. If you have listened to Fitzroy at Audible and have left a rating and a review, Thank you. If you have listened to Fitz over Audible and have not left a rating and review, please do so. That helps us a lot. But speaking of ratings and reviews, I have discovered sacrilege. Sacrilege, I say. The Rookie, book one of the JFL series. That girthy tome that kicked off the sensational experience that is the GFL. It is. Only has 859 ratings there. What? What is this you say after you? How is that possible? Well, it went up on Audible a long, long time ago. And like most older books over at Audible, it doesn't have the same kind of review attracting power as newer books because there's way more Audible users now. There's way more books. It's just kind of the way things are. So for the sake of all that is holy, my children, Let us end the sacrilege and get that bad beast up over 1,000 reviews. If you are an Audible customer and you've heard The Rookie, either at Audible or via this podcast ages ago, pop on over to audible.com, find The Rookie, and slap a fat rating and a luscious review on it. Takes like 10 minutes. All right, acolytes of Siglerism, you have your holy calling for the week. You get on that while I get you caught up on the story so far. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin met with Massal the Efficient, who brought word from Kraken's owner Greedock the Splithead. With that completed, Quentin finally has permission from the PUV Victory, a planetary union warship, to leave Earth orbit. 
Quentin, Becca, Big Mike, Chodo, and Marcus Diablo can finally go into hiding and avoid the assassins trying to take Quentin out of the picture. And now, episode number 20 of The Gangster. Hammer Wind While the Hypatia's cockpit had plenty of room, the two big bodies crammed into it made the space feel too small. Quentin sat in the pilot's chair, Kimberlin in the co-pilot's. Everything in the custom yacht was designed for Quentin's oversized dimensions, including the co-pilot's chair, yet Kimberlin barely fit into it. One more time, the heavy G said. What are the sensors telling you? Quentin checked them again. Other than the victory, uh, no ships or objects in the immediate acceleration range. No aberrant energy pulses, punch drive is fully charged, flight path to our assigned punch point is clear of obstructions. Kimberlin nodded as he double-checked Quentin's readings, just as he'd done the first two times Quentin had read them off. Mike, I know you're the licensed pilot and everything, but are we going to keep talking about leaving? Are we going to, you know actually leave. There are five sentient beings aboard this vessel, Kimberlin said. Six, if you count your unborn child. It seems odd that you are in a rush to put everyone in danger. Quentin sighed. Oh, you're so dramatic. Fred didn't dig around like this when it was time to go. Frederico is not here. I am. Reactor levels? Quentin had already read those off twice. He was not going to do so a third time. Look, Mike, I'll be honest. I'm getting... Is this a football field? Quentin blinked, confused. What? Is this a football field? It is a simple question. Oh, great. Mike felt it was time to teach a life lesson. No, it's not a football field, Quentin said. Why would you ask that? Because on a football field, you are in charge. Now that we have established this is not a football field, perhaps you can accept that you are not in charge. In this bridge, right now, I am the only licensed pilot. That makes me the authority here. Would you agree? Quentin's anger flared. He pushed it down. The longer he spent arguing, the longer this would take. I agree. Wonderful, Mike said. Reactor levels? Quentin dutifully checked them, just to be sure. All in the green. The heavy G nodded. Excellent. We are ready. You may request punch clearance from the victory. Finally. Quentin tapped icons in the display floating above his left armrest. PUV victory. This is the private craft Hypatia requesting clearance. Quentin Barnes at the helm, Michael Kimberlin observing. In the main holotank, between and in front of the two pilot chairs, a man appeared. He wore a Planetary Union Navy uniform. Hypatia, this is Victory Flight Control. Your flight path is logged and presents no danger to this vessel. Please follow your path exactly. You are cleared to depart the Victory's airspace. A small part of Quentin didn't want to leave. Here. With the guns of a warship protecting his yacht, he, Becca, the baby, and the others were safe. But they couldn't stay here forever. Thank you, Victory Flight Control, Quentin said. 
The man's image winked out. She's all yours, Kimberlin said. Quentin tapped an icon. A 3D grid of dots appeared in front of him. He slid his hands into the field, waited for the lights to flash twice, signifying his hands had been mapped. He angled his left hand to the right. The ship banked in time with his movement. The holotank flashed softly three times, telling him he'd correctly oriented the Hypatia to the departure flight plan. Quentin slowly curled the fingers of his right hand inward. The Hypatia began to accelerate. In seconds, the warship victory was left behind. Nicely done, Kimberlin said. Thirty minutes to our punch-out. The big man leaned back in the co-pilot chair. He fidgeted, trying to make himself comfortable in the too-small seat. Quentin guided the Hypatia along the assigned course. Best to not deviate at all. He didn't want to piss off anyone on the victory, especially Captain Watson. She seemed like the kind of sentient who didn't put up with any crap. Ten minutes later, the victory was nothing but a blip in the holotank, a tiny dot of matter invisible against the backdrop of Earth. You're doing well, Kimberlin said. Now we... His voice trailed off as a pulsing notification beep sounded throughout the cockpit. A ship is moving into our trajectory, Quentin said, reading the displays. Its path will cross in front of ours before we reach the punch point. Strange, Kimberlin said. Whatever that ship is, it's in a big hurry. A second, faster beep pulsed, creating an annoying overlay of sounds. Quentin again checked the displays, felt a sinking sensation. Two more new contacts, he said. Coming from behind us, coming fast. A voice rang out from the bridge's speaker film. Hypatia, this is Union System Police Patrol Craft Vic 56. Decharge your punch drive and prepare to be boarded, as authorized under intergalactic law. Vic 56, Kimberlin said. That means it came from the victory. They just gotten clearance. What was going on? Kimberlin tapped icons, called up more information. I can't identify the first ship but only military vessels have clearance to move that fast. This isn't a random inspection. We're in trouble. Quentin thought of Massal, the worker's eyes flooding blue-violet in disgust. Volani set me up. She reported the Gibblejuants. The Planetary Union doesn't give a damn about that. Neither does the Empire. But what else could make system police want to board the Hypatia? Quentin's instincts screamed at him to act, and he listened. I'm accelerating to punch speed. Hypatia, transfer flight controls to co-pilot, Kimberlin said. Quentin, if we run, they can fire on us. Which would put Kimberlin, Chodo, Becca, the baby, and even Diablo in danger. Could Quentin make that decision for them? All control transferred to co-pilot station. Another beep sounded. First vessel identified, Kimberlin said. It's the Hammerwind, a Kretorakian warship Corvette class. Quentin wondered what a Corvette class was, decided he wasn't sticking around to find out. Owner override! Hypatia, transfer all control back to pilot! Kimberlin shook his head. Quentin, do not run. Whatever this is, it's serious. All control return to pilot station. It's my ship and my decision. Be ready to obey my commands. 
Quentin reached into his control field. His right hand curled into a tight fist, the signal for full acceleration. Inertia pushed him back into his seat. Kimberlin tapped icons in his display. Becca, Chodo, Marcus, grab something and hold on. We're heading for punch-out 15 minutes early. The Hypatia continued to accelerate. The system police ship was closing, but not for long. The yacht's Portath modified engines were far more powerful. In seconds, the Hypatia would start pulling away. Vic 5-6 is almost in missile launch distance, Kimberlin said. The hammer wind has also accelerated. We'll pass through their field of fire for mass driver weapons before we reach our punch point. Quentin toggled the master comms icon, sending his voice throughout the ship. Everyone, hold on tight. I'm taking evasive action in three, two. Quentin, don't, Kimberlin said. But his don't sounded just as Quentin reached one. Quentin threw the Hypatia hard to port and 15 degrees downward. Compensating thrusters fired, countering the inertia of the ship's original direction. The move put both the system police ship and the corvette behind him at different angles. Mike, give me a new punch point. Going where? Anywhere! Quentin watched the displays. He had to get a thousand-odd kilometers of straight-line flight to accelerate to the speed needed to activate the punch drive. A new voice came from the speakerphone. A voice Quentin knew. Hypatia, this is Commander Watson of the Victory. Decelerate immediately or you will be fired upon. We had clearance, Quentin said. What the hell is going on? Your clearance has been revoked per the orders of the Kretorakian Empire. This is your last warning, Hypatia. Decelerate now or I will give permission to fire upon you. The holotank told him he'd exceeded the system police vessel's rate of acceleration. The Hypatia was starting to pull away. The bigger hammerwind was still closing, but in another few minutes, the Hypatia would outpace that ship as well. Quentin squeezed his fist tighter. The yacht continued to accelerate. Vic 5-6, this is Captain Watson. Launch missiles. A new alarm, thin and piercing, screeched through the cockpit. Watson, my pregnant wife is on board. Decelerate and decharge your punch drive before the missiles reach you, Barnes, and I will make the missiles self-destruct. No sympathy in that voice. Quentin, you're going to get us killed, Kimberlin said. We can't outrun missiles. They'll reach us before we can punch out. Just stop. System police, a Kretorakian warship. If Quentin didn't stop, everyone aboard would die. But if he did stop, something very, very bad would happen. He didn't know how he knew that. He just knew. There was no way out. No way to win. The universe slowed, went silent. Quentin still heard sounds, but they were processed by some small portion of his consciousness that fed him necessary information. The Hypatia controls seemed to fade away, as did the ship itself. A part of him worked those controls, yet that effort now seemed as instinctive and automatic as breathing, as blinking, as pointing a finger. He saw only the void, a star-dotted blackness filled with the fuzzy, glowing lines he'd seen a few times on the football field. The Hypatia's heads-up display and holographic images blended into that vision, flowed with it. 
Quentin's awareness catapulted to a new strata, a level that would have frightened him if he'd had time to be frightened of anything other than the missiles streaking toward his ship. The lines of power showed him the path of the Kretorakian corvette, the path of Vic-5-6, and the path of the missiles. He knew their relative speeds, saw their acceleration. At a level beyond conscious thought, he calculated the lines, the angles, the options, and he did it in less than a second. He saw where he needed to go. Quentin banked up, rotated, turned 22.65 degrees starboard, a number he knew instantly, and yet didn't know, because how could he know that without a computer telling him that ahead of time? Quentin! Timberland croaked, fighting against the harsh G-forces. The missiles tracked, tracked wide, not able to make the same sharp turn. By the time they corrected course and started to close again, the lines of power showed Quentin he had room to hit punch-out speed before the missiles reached detonation range. The passengers, Timberland said, still fighting against the forces pressing down on him. They're unsecured. The person who cared about Becca and Shoto wasn't in charge anymore. The person in charge was someone else. A machine that considered emotions to be nothing more than additional points of data fed into on-the-fly equations, weighed against distances and acceleration and threats and angles. Maybe Chodo, Becca, and Diablo were hurt, but they probably weren't dead. If the missiles closed, they would be. A new proximity alarm rang through the bridge. Contact, Kimberlin said. A third ship, a big one. A light flashed in Quentin's vision, seemed to flash before it appeared on the heads-up holo. How was that even possible? Planetary Union, destroyer class, Kimberlin said. They must have redirected a task force. I don't know. Q, we are boxed in. A new light flared in Quentin's vision, an impossible color that signified death. That light grew to a line as the Hypatia's sensors and his own bizarre awareness showed the third ship's possible angles of movement. Destroyer has launched missiles, Kimberlin said. So has the Hammerwind. Another chime. Someone from inside the ship calling to the bridge. Quentin, I'm hurt. Becca's voice. Chodo hit the bulkhead. He's hurt too. Please, stop this. The lines of power pulsed and throbbed, twisted and thrummed. Missiles coming from three different vectors. Quentin saw the path he needed to escape them all, where he needed to go to break the Hypatia free. Four hard turns, counterthrust, max acceleration. Anyone not strapped into a flight chair would be slammed against the walls over and over again. Becca, Shoto, the baby. The lines of power withered, shrank, vanished. Reality again enveloped Quentin. The sights and sounds of the bridge hammered home, deafeningly louder and blindingly brighter than they'd seen before the weird visions had taken over. He splayed the fingers of his right hand, pulled the hand backward toward his chest. The Hypatia's counter-thrusters blasted out so hard he felt the vibrations in the hull. The ship rapidly decelerated. Victory, this is the Hypatia, Quentin said, his words sounding thin and distant 
as if they were coming from some far point in space. Decelerating! Decharging punch drive as ordered! On the holo display, he saw flashes of light as the incoming missiles self-destructed. Hypatia, this is Vic-5-6. Bring your vehicle to a standstill. If you run again, we are authorized to hit you with everything we've got. Kimberlin turned to Quentin. The big lineman's chest heaved. He'd stayed mostly calm throughout the engagement, but now Quentin saw the fear on the man's face. They aren't lying, Mike said. Please, for the sake of your child, please stop. Quentin felt cold wash through him. He wouldn't run now, because there was no way to escape. He'd had his chance to get away, but to do so would have put those he loved at too great a risk. It was over. Whatever happened next was out of his hands. Vic 5-6, this is the Hypatia, Quentin said. We are decelerating as instructed and will await your boarding party. It won't be us, Hypatia. We've been notified that you will be boarded by the crew from the Hammerwind. The Kretorakians. The Bats. Hypatia, Quentin said. Transfer all controls to the co-pilot seat. Without another word, he released his flight restraints. He left the bridge and went in search of his injured bride. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Busted. I will fight, Jodo said. Shemekath, please. I will use the cooking knife from the galley, and we have several excellent heavy spanners in the maintenance area that will easily crush the skull of any sentient. The warrior stood in the middle of the salon, his big body trembling with the promise of violence. Marcus Diablo leaned against a wall, his arms crossed. Becca stood next to Quentin, her hand pressing a blood-stained blue bandage to her forehead. Kimberlin was in the shuttle bay, ready to tell the arriving boarding party that everyone aboard the Hypatia would cooperate peacefully. No fighting, 
Quentin said to Chodo, although he meant the words for everyone. I told you that. Don't question my orders again. He heard the tone of his own voice, the ring of command, the unspoken promise of consequences if his orders weren't obeyed. Chodo heard it too, because he fell silent. Quentin's mad maneuvering had smashed the warrior against a bulkhead. The sentient, who was still recovering from a bullet wound, now had a broken left pedipalp forearm to go along with his growing list of injuries. This sucks, but it ain't my battle, Diablo said. If you get locked up, Barnes, I'm out of here. Becca snarled at him. You're worried about yourself right now? He's right. This isn't his problem, Quentin said. Diablo, just stay quiet. Whatever this is about, they don't want you. Becca glared at the trainer, maybe because he was the only target for her frustration and fear, at least until the bats came in. Spreading blood slowly turned her blue bandage purple. She showed no signs of pain, but the wound was evidence enough that Quentin's maneuvering had hurt her. Why had he fled? He wasn't entirely sure. He felt an almost overwhelming dread, a knife at his throat. Things were about to go from bad to worse. And those lines of power, what were they? When Quentin had seen them on the gridiron, the real-time tactical hallucinations always took him along the right path. In the hospital, the lines had probably saved his life, and Becca's, and Chodo's. Moments earlier, the lines had shown him the way out of an impossible situation. If he'd had only a few extra moments to make sure the passengers had strapped in for harsh maneuvering, Quentin would have escaped the missiles and put the Hypatia in punch space. He would have gotten away. What would he have done then? He had no idea. Kimberlin's voice came from the speaker film. Boarding party has arrived. They are armed with entropic rifles. They've ordered me to stay here. They're on their way to the salon. I'm trying to record everything that happens, but they're carrying a jammer of some kind that's scrambling all cameras and audio around them. That sent a chill down Quentin's spine. Kretorakian signal technology was tops in the galaxy, even better than that of the League of Planets. There would be no electronic record of whatever was about to go down. Quentin thought back to his days in McCovey. He'd seen bats kill people for even the smallest of transgressions. Any sign of resistance, real or imagined, often resulted in people screaming as their bodies dissolved outward from where the shot landed. Bats shoot first and ask questions later, he said. When they come in, no one moves, understand? Becca nodded. The blood beaded up through the nanosite gauze. A drop fell to the salon's carpet. Diablo walked to the first aid kit, lying open on the coffee table. He tore open a fresh blue bandage and handed it to her. Barnes ain't exaggerating, the trainer said. Y'all ain't from the nation. Bats will blow you away if you blink funny. So don't blink funny. From down the corridor, through the salon's open hatch, Quentin heard the fast flapping of leathery wings. Becca, Chodo, sit down, he said. They sat, each taking one of the chairs that flanked the couch. Diablo got on his knees, laced his fingers over his head. Quentin felt so stupid. If only he'd listened to Masol, 
gotten rid of the gibble juants. Mike thought the Union and the Empire didn't care about this stuff, but obviously they did. The bats would search the Hypatia, looking for it. Would they find the secret storage area? No, probably not. The Portath tech was likely too advanced for them. As soon as this incident was over, Quentin would get the gibble juants the hell off his ship. Unless he didn't get a chance to do that. What if they took him? That was crazy. He had GFL diplomatic immunity. They couldn't take him. But that same immunity also supposedly meant his ship couldn't be boarded, and here they were. If they took him and not the others, leaving the Gibble Juants on the ship could get Becca into deep trouble. Thoughts flashed. The bats were almost here. He had to come up with something fast. He didn't want to leave the case on the ship. He also didn't want it given to anyone that Greedock might be watching. That eliminated Ma, Janine, John, and Jew. Starcher and Tra the Freak as well. Any current teammate, for that matter. Who was loyal enough to... Jodo, Quentin said, rushing out the words. If they take me, I need you to take the case out of the storage area and deliver it to Richfield at the Church of Quentin Barnes. Tell her not to look inside, to hide it until I send someone for it. Tell her it's a holy mission, understand? I understand, Shemekath. Becca's eyes narrowed. What case? Don't ask, Quentin said. Please, trust me, it's for the best. You... The salon went from stillness to insanity as a dozen Kretorakians flew in. The six-eyed creatures wore black combat armor over their tadpole-shaped bodies. Bat-like wing membranes angled back from the foremost limbs to the flat tail. They held the small entropic rifles in their second set of arms. Some of the bats landed on their stubby rear legs, aimed their weapons at Becca, Chodo, Quentin, and Diablo. Others flew in circles, leathery wings sounding like soft applause. Quentin stood motionless, silently prayed that the others would do the same. A thirteenth Kretorakian flew in, this one wearing silver armor. It did a fast circle of the room, then perched on the back of the couch. I am boss six, the bat said. Quentin Barnes, you are under arrest for violation of the Religious Organization Act. You will come along quietly. Quentin stared at the small creature. Religious Organization Act? What did that have to do with Gibblejuants? I'm under arrest for what, exactly? For the size of your church, Boss Six said. That sense of dread inside Quentin grew more intense, made him feel cold all over. Had the Kretorakian Ministry of Religion learned the schism was a ruse? They aren't my churches, Quentin said. I have nothing to do with those organizations. Boss Six's wings fluttered once. You will come along quietly. We demand a lawyer, Becca said. We are citizens of the Quith Concordia, and we have rights. Quentin is not going with you. Quentin glared at her, silently willing, begging for her to stop talking. Moving was one way to get shot by the bats. Mouthing off, demanding your rights, that was another. She didn't know that. She'd grown up on Earth, where things were different. The longer Quentin stayed here, the more he argued, the more likely the bats would get twitchy. He had to get these creatures away from Becca and from Chodo, whose cornea had flooded black. 
Quentin could figure out what to do about the bogus charges later, after he ensured that Becca and Chodo didn't do something stupid. Becca, I'm going with them. She stood up, suddenly, her hands curled into fists, the bloody bandage falling away. Half of the entropic rifles swung toward her. Quentin's heart dropped into his belly. For a long moment, he waited for the beams to dissolve Becca and the baby into nothing. The bats didn't fire. Blood oozed from the gash on Becca's forehead. She didn't seem to notice. She glared at Quentin as if the Craterakians weren't even there. Don't go with them, she said. Don't you leave me. Anger in her voice, pleading as well. I have to, Quentin said. If I don't, none of us will leave here alive. Her hands went to her belly. Please, Q, please, stay with us. We'll fight this together. Becca Montaigne had taken everything the GFL had thrown at her. She never complained. She never quit. She never backed down. She was his Valkyrie, with a soul as hard as armor plate. Now, seeing her will finally break, seeing her blood-streaked face waver, it hurt Quentin's heart worse than any physical pain he'd ever known. He had no choice. For her to live, he had to go. I'll come back to you, he said. Take the Hypatia back to Ionath. Stay away from our place in the city. Stay in the yacht with Chodo and Mike. That's safest. Protect yourself, protect our child, and I swear I will come back to you. Quentin took off his championship wedding ring, put it in Becca's hand. I don't want anything to happen to it, he said. Hold on to it for me, my love. He didn't wait for her to answer, afraid that if she said anything, he wouldn't be able to do what needed to be done. Quentin quickly walked out of the salon. He didn't look back, because he knew that if he did, he'd run to Becca, hold her, and he wouldn't be able to leave her behind. The flapping bats fell in around him, escorting him to the shuttle bay. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.